0: One gift that never gets returned... Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you
1: compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's d r i z l y.com.
0: And welcome to the We Call It Soccer podcast. That's right. It's our latest put podcast from the Football Ground Network. I'm your host, Manuel Weff. And to host this podcast, to run this podcast, and I'm really excited to run this podcast, It's Jack. And Jack, maybe you should explain what we're really trying to do on this podcast.
1: Yeah, Manuel, as you said, this is America, so we call it soccer. You're in Vancouver. I'm in Miami Beach. We're basically bookending uh, the North American soccer sphere as Outside of uh, Liga Mackeys, of course, but you guys already have that podcast. So we're gonna talk about a lot about MLS and maybe even some soccer in Canada.
0: Yeah, no, definitely some soccer in Canada. I mean I'm here, right? I mean I have to
1: <laughs> No, no, I'm in a Canadian domestic league, of course. You cover the white caps. That's yeah. in an American league, I guess, technically.
0: Yeah, it is. So that's that's definitely something that we'll be discussing as we I guess as we have the different shows, the different episodes. This is really the the first episode ever and Um, I guess this is really just to set us up for next year, because there isn't much MLS soccer left. Um, Yeah, only the really
1: exciting part. Yeah, (laughs) only the really
0: exciting part. So we decided, well, we might as well get it going now, because it is really exciting. Um, Maybe for people that have no clue what playoffs are, because I guess we are kind of anchored into, together with the Anfield Index, but also, you know, with... A bunch of European leagues that we cover um those who listen to the Golazzo podcast know of course what playoffs are and the, the importance of them but MLS of course has them too so maybe just explain how these playoffs work and how we got there
1: yeah so MLS as you might know you might have heard articles or read articles making fun of it how you play a whole league season and then that's not who the champion is the team that finishes with the most points as in a traditional soccer league but um, the top six teams in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, which both this year had 11 teams, so the top six out of 11 teams make the playoffs and then play to win MLS Cup, which is the trophy that everyone's going for, not the supporter shield which you get for having the most points, which Toronto FC did. But the teams five and six, uh, those teams have to go through the play-in route where teams one and two are seeded and... Get a, a buy to the next round so anyway teams uh three four five and six are all in the knockout round which is only a one game playoff at the higher seed the higher seed hosts and then for the conference semifinals it's a two-legged affair so obviously a home and away aggregate goals away goals is the tiebreaker there so we saw some of that take place just this weekend and that was, that was really exciting stuff
0: yeah, I actually really thought these, these weakest games were really good. I watched them all and got them kind of layered. But I also did watch the
1: the play-ins. And- yeah, a lot, I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt. A lot of people yeah. say that the, the play-ins, the knockout round is more exciting than the two-legged ties because it's a, a yeah. winner go home situation. And usually it is, but I think this year the conference semifinals uh, were a little bit better
0: yeah you know why because i mean I watched the white cups game obviously against san jose um, I'm, I'm a creditor with the white cups so I'm there quite a lot and uh the white cups really you know maybe go and start with the plans first they really messed it up because they got that zero zero as a zero one one draw against San jose on match day thirty three that and a win there could have sealed them first place in the west as it was they got the draw and then lost to Portland on match day thirty four to have, they had to play San Jose again and then beat them 5-0, Jack. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, you know, it's, there, that happened in both of the 3-6 the matchups. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of strange. A so 5-0 and a 4-0 you know, Vancouver beating San Jose. And San Jose, I don't know. I was looking at the table and I would almost argue they shouldn't have been in the playoffs. It's easy to say after that 5-0. But they finished with the same amount of points as FC Dallas. But FC Dallas' goal difference was 21 goals better than San Jose. So... You know there's there's some crazy things but i think it adds to the the excitement and the entertainment in major league soccer
0: yeah that, i think that's a record set by san jose the first team <laughs> to get go into the playoffs with a goal differential of minus 21 I, I i seen them a couple times and that was a team you know that they didn't do very much and match day 33 in vancouver either i was shocked that vancouver didn't win that game but you know that's uh a Vancouver story that will follow us. I guess as long as we do this podcast, <laughs> I will probably com- complain about the complacency that is the Vancouver Whitecaps because they could have wrapped us up so easily. But yeah, uh, minus 21 goals. But they, the earthquakes really benefited from Dallas that probably had the most epic meltdown in MLS history because they were sitting, I think, comfortably in first place just a few weeks ago, a couple months ago.
1: Yeah, and it just goes to show you that the lo- uh, really long season, you have to maintain consistency and peak at the right time for the playoffs. You know, at Dallas, were slumping. They probably wouldn't have done much in the playoffs anyway.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think, and this is this is maybe another something that we kind of have to explain this whole East and West Conference thing, right? Um, that's kind of confusing, I think, for some people that are not familiar with North American sports, is MLS or even
1: even the geography of North America, because yeah. that it, you know it. Most of it makes sense, but some of it can be very confusing.
0: Exactly, and I, th- I think when you're speaking about geography. I always joke that the teams in the Eastern Conference have it a lot easier than in the Western Conference because distances are still fast. You know, they're very there's lots lots big distances in the East as well, but it's a lot worse in the West. And I find climate-wise, it's it's a huge difference too. I mean, the the Portland against Houston game was a good example. I think the Houston game was played at. 28 degrees celsius I'm not sure what that is in fahrenheit you will have to translate yeah like <laughs> eight,
1: 88 or something maybe low low 90s but yeah and then the, really hot the, the humidity too in houston yeah. And whenever you go to texas it's hot you know they say a cold rainy night in stoke it's kind of a hot muggy summer <laughs> night in texas it's the equivalent of, i don't know i think it's worse you can always put on the long sleeve shirt
0: yeah but then you go to portland right and it's like what uh, i guess it's like Eight, nine degrees. So that's what, 55 Fahrenheit around? Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's a huge... Or no, you go to Toronto and you can have snow. Yeah. You can freeze
0: <laughs> Yeah. But you know, the teams in New York and Chicago, maybe not Atlanta or Columbus, they're all used to that, right? Playing in the cold in Toronto. But in the Western Conference, you have these massive climate differences. Yeah. yeah
1: you have Los Angeles. It's beautiful the whole mm-hmm. year. San Jose, same thing. And then you have Vancouver,
0: Seattle, and. Portland, and it's not beautiful this time of the year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you, you know, I find that's very interesting. And then, you know, of course, the, the schedule is that you play home and away in your own conference, and then you have one game against a team from outside your conference, and that's how you get to the 34 games um, in the in the regular season. So, yeah, so that's how we got into the playoffs. And the play-ins, we really just left now with the... The conference finals but maybe before we talk about the conference finals how did we get there jack
1: yeah let's let's go back to the the play-ins and we could start with that vancouver 5 san jose nil uh like you mentioned um i did not see that so i think you'll you'll have to take us through that but yeah obviously comprehensive victory
0: comprehensive victory and is a result funnily enough and i may have touched on this that kind of disappointed me because (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> why not two weeks earlier, um, you know, and it really mattered. They could have avoided this game and finish first, and then instead of playing the Seattle Sounders in the conference semifinal, you know, play Houston.
1: and Yeah, um, on, on short rest as well, you I know, mean, play yeah. a traditional game.
0: And that's just, it kind of, you know, the, the Caps. they were actually one of those teams that did really well going into the playoffs. You know, they were eighth or ninth, um just six, seven weeks ago. And then they went on this unbelievable run and um all the way to the top and then kinda blew it on the last two match days and kinda gave it away again. And um it's 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 kinda too bad because not playing that extra game means a lot. Now they did do what they did going into these playoffs and we're very, very good in this game, just very clinical got the job done. San Jose never looked like the team that they looked like on Match Day 33. Um, I thought the Whitecaps, that was probably the best performance all season long. And it, it gave me a lot of optimism going for the team going into the conference semifinals against Seattle Sounders. But, you know, it is an extra game. It is travel. Um, it, well, it is like an extra <laughs> game that you have to play. It's not travel because they played at home, but it's, it's just... It's just 90 minutes that are unnecessary in my opinion
1: yeah and they they kind of left all the goals in the knockout round <laughs> they definitely did and that's oh. uh,
0: yeah i guess we'll touch on well, maybe we should touch on the other play-ins first before we yeah, go to yeah, that yeah. knockout round uh yeah, my we... next point
1: was was going to be on houston because uh well mm. a little bit on columbus but i want to stay in the west with yeah. with houston and the the turf at bbva compass field of course they hosted sporting kc in the knockout round and won one nil and the turf continued to be an issue in the the conference finals but like mm-hmm. we're saying maybe if you're vancouver you want to avoid that game maybe if you're a team like houston or a team like columbus playing this extra game can give you momentum going further into the playoffs
0: and houston are an interesting team and actually both houston and sporting kansas those were teams that not just I'm a little bored of this Cascadia rivalry, so when we got the Seattle Sounders (laughs) again, again, I say again because we played them quite a lot, same with the Timbers, I was kind of hoping to see someone else. And Houston is one of those teams that actually I find interesting to see. There's a lot of very interesting players on that squad. Um, They they have a very um, Latin American feeling to it, which is, I think, smart, given the background of this league. A a couple of teams are now going down that route. you know. uh, Vancouver themselves, they have a lot of Latin American players as well
1: yeah but I mean especially for Houston, the types yeah. of players they can recruit and have as homegrown players it makes makes a lot of sense going forward
0: oh yeah, well, absolutely and it's it's a good team to watch you know they didn't have the best results going into this this playoffs, hence why they had to play the play in but you know they are a fun team to watch and they 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 even watching the the field uh yeah the field is a big bit issue, but even that kind of reminds you of watching a South American team. You know, it's kind of like watching a team across the border with like the really rough field and then the atmosphere. And it's, it's always hot. Everyone is sweating and <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> and then they have a they but they managed that so well. Like the, the culture that they bring in with the, with the bunch of Hondurans who, of course, you know, have a big game coming up for them in the intercontinental uh, playoffs. I thought they, they just, they seem to be a team that's a little bit feisty. Um, a team that's really difficult to play, but at the same time, a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, def- definitely a lot of fun to watch, and they they do play a a style that is yeah maybe more South American, Central American, like you're saying, with the Honduran influence is huge for them. But I mean, they also have <laughs> a, f- a personal favorite of mine, I guess. If you don't know, I'm an Eston Villa fan, so Philippe Senderos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, seeing him in there is just hilarious. Yeah. He's played for Villa for one season or something, you know?
0: I, I actually had to uh, double check if it was the same guy. And
1: yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but. Um,
1: I guess they're all saying Senderos now, not yeah, Senderos.
0: Senderos, which is apparently the correct way to say it. Um, so there's that. But yeah, it's it's an interesting squad. DeMarcus Beasley, another one, you know, the Beast. Uh, this is a player that I kind of remember from playing uh, football manager 2010 and uh maybe even earlier versions and played in manchester city at psv and uh, at rangers and four games for hannover and um i was like when i when i first started covering mls and i saw him play uh, at houston i was like oh he's still around he's still around he's still going pretty strong pretty big character player for them so it's an yeah that's what i think that's what
1: everyone says when he when he's in the us squad but i don't know if he he will be called up in the future 126 caps though it's impressive
0: yeah I, um, well i guess the the us squad and all their issues is going to be a podcast in itself one day jack <laughs> yeah yeah i gotta <laughs> gotta leave that out <laughs> but yeah so um they got their job done um, beating sport in kansas in, um, after extra time one zero um, not quite as convincing as the, the Vancouver game, but you know they got the job done. And I actually thought, see, having seen Sporting Kansas as well, that, that was actually a 50-50 game for me, um, the Sporting Kansas-Houston Dynamo game. And I actually thought that um, having seen Portland a few times this year, uh, I was pretty convinced that Portland would beat whoever uh, goes through in that round. But then I guess Houston, um, a bunch of other factors come into play. But I guess maybe before we go into the the conference semifinals, we should move east and uh, talk about those two plans. And maybe the, the one of the surprises was the how decisive Chicago Fire were beaten by the New York Red Bulls. Um, I thought that New York Red Bulls going into this game would be the favorites, but four nil—that's heavy.
1: Yeah, for the the sixth seed, they were the, technically the worst team from the East into the playoffs. So just seeing that three against six—I mean, the, for me. The fire were the shock team of the season in a year to be able to finish third in the East after, I don't know, many years in the wilderness, it felt like. Mm.
0: Do you think think it's it's that the fact, you know, they brought in Bastian Schweinsteiger, they brought in uh, Kovacs, they brought in new coaching staff and um, making some really positive changes and finishing third in the East but you think it's a little bit of that playoff inexperience that got them there in this game?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was actually going to make a a little bit of a point about supporting KC and Peter Vermes, his squad having been there, having had playoff experience. I think that is a big thing in in MLS because it's not something you have in a lot of leagues.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so. eh? And I guess, I mean, if I recall correctly, uh, Chicago Fire actually had to start this game without Schweini.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think he only came on for I don't know 15 minutes at the end or something. It was over. Yeah, so maybe do we know yet if Schweinsteiger is going to stay?
0: Because I think he has an option for next year, right? But we we could we would suspect he would be staying for one more year and help this project because I can see that 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 would be something that they would want to build on. The
1: yeah, it was a, it was a one year contract. I'm pretty sure that it was just that short of length because of his injury history. But I think he had a pretty good year and seems to be happy in Chicago that they seem to be pretty happy with him as the face of their club kind of and
0: yeah, I mean, I, we'll,
1: yeah it would it would make sense for him to stay another year
0: the storyline is really positive you know when you he gets the Chicago fire get a lot of attention um I'm originally from yeah, Germany too right? bad they won't
1: qualify for the World Cup no <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, you, yeah that that story will never go away but uh, maybe next year they will finish in that echelon again and actually push through to the next round because I think that that experience of playing there and having, um, that playoff experience, maybe having a weinsteiger you know, they just we have to remember he came through, came in halfway through the season, and um, had to basically play an entire level. Well, he's sitting mostly on the bench in United, but you know, he, he there wasn't a proper preseason for him to set up and uh, make this move correctly. So I, I'd be really curious to see him with a proper preseason and the full season at Chicago and fully fit. And uh, I could see Chicago trying to make some additions onto that squad and really pushing through. But um, you know, I, I had a funny feeling about New York in this game because um, they are, they have a team with a lot of playoff history and, um, I wasn't too surprised that it did go through but I think that it was the decisiveness that surprised me in this game
1: yeah even even though their former captain is now at Chicago Dax McCarty of course
0: oh yeah and they're still bitter about that I have a, <laughs> a bunch of New York Red Bull fans yes those people do exist and uh they're really really <laughs> bitter about it that Dax McCarty left them and uh you know, they
1: should be bitter with their club for selling them for yeah. 300k in allocation money or something. I don't know.
0: I, that's what I don't understand. My fans are bitter about this kind of stuff? It's not like that the players are necessarily the decision makers, but well, well, uh, oh, they
1: have no say in the matter. <laughs> yeah, well, because they're I, owned by they're owned by MLS.
0: They're owned by MLS, and this is this is another oddity that you know, as we probably gonna go into next season. That's something we've discussed. Yes, all player contracts are not owned by the clubs; it's owned by. The, the league. Uh, so if a player moves to MLS, he gets bought by the league and then allocated. And uh, as that, I guess when we go into the preseason next year, Jack, we will have to explain how the all the different transfers and how they actually work.
1: But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to want to give a quick example. That's how do you think uh, Tottenham Hotspur got DeAndre Yedlin for like two million pounds?
0: Well, because they bought him from from the league,
1: right? Yeah. And his contract is probably like 60,000 a year at that time.
0: Yeah more well, next to nothing i mean yeah. a lot of players make just a bit more than you know uh, average working class uh, middle class in, in North America. Yeah. so
1: yeah i think i think uh, i was looking at the salary data earlier this year sorry to get off topic but kyle laren was making uh, i think 140th of what kakao was making for orlando city well Something yeah. like. they're it's... both stars and you know just totally totally different
0: we had the same with Schweinsteiger when he joined uh, Chicago. Their their salary for the entire squad doubled. Yeah, it, it went from I think four point five to nine million. So <laughs> that mm-hmm. that's just a good example. He was making as much as the entire rest of the team together last season. So, uh, but he,
1: then you have you, you have the argument that he does as much or more marketing than the rest of the team together. You know? Oh yeah. Up to some of these teams, it is it is definitely worth it.
0: Definitely, I I think it was. The, probably the most important transfer mls did since david beckham because he has you know the all of a sudden everyone in the around the world was talking about schweinsteiger in chicago and the, the media attention he was getting back home in germany was immense and i know a lot of people just tuned into the chicago fire just to see him and i, I think that is it it is that kind of signing that does help the league a lot of people say mls that's a retirement league and it's um getting those retired like semi retired players is not great. But you have to remember he's only he was only thirty two when he signed. So it's not yeah. that he was completely old, right? There's still a good two or three years in his body to play on a top level. So I think there's nothing wrong with that. Quite contrary, I think it does really help the league to get players like that. And Beckham was the same. I believe Beckham was thirty one when he came to LA. And that is not retirement age by any means. And I think that is a label um that is unjustified. So I mean as we talk about the next play, and um, we have we talk about Atlanta United, right? That's a team that almost only relied on young players from South America um, as the designated players. So Almiron, for example, Miguel Almiron, he's 22 now, I believe, Jack, and that's. A designated player for them so i think this is like label mls label that it is just a league of retire for retired players it's, it's it's slowly but surely going away and it's definitely not justified anymore
1: yeah it's something that if you maybe watched two mls games five years ago you would say that but or if you only saw Pirlo, who just literally retired the other day but <laughs> yeah no atlanta fantastic youth emphasis Tata Martino and there was a, a really a cruel end to their season losing on penalties because I mean they, they had a fantastic season and they're now drawing 70,000 fans a game at the new Mercedes-Benz Arena.
0: Yeah, they had the highest average attendance even before they went to the new stadium because they were playing I believe it's one of the universities in Atlanta that they were... Yeah, know, Georgia right? Tech. Yeah, Georgia Tech and that that stadium is slightly smaller I believe 40,000 right? And they yeah. were filling out that stadium every game and yeah, and they had sixty seven thousand for this game, they had seventy-one thousand for the game before against Toronto, and I think the game, the first game at the um at the Spence was seventy-two thousand.
1: So Yeah, I think it was across the whole world. All the European leagues are go were going on at this time. I think it was the third most attended game that weekend when they drew seventy two thousand.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable, but you know what? They they can do it because and I think this is Atlanta United is for me the the model of your how the future of MLS needs to be. Because they were so smart signing players um not just you know, not just from the US but also from South America. When you look at someone like Julian Gressel, who was one of the most important players for them, they found him in, a, in the lower divisions in Germany and then he went to college there, right? And mm-hmm. um just self-developed, but that entire core of the squad there is Almost no overage players. I think the only overage player was Brad Guzan. You know, um, he's their keeper, and at 33 as a keeper, you're not old. You're actually in your prime age. So they were really, really fantastic job of putting together a squad with a lot of young, exciting players. And you, you talk about Almiran, for example, now who is linked with the likes of the Milan clubs, of Arsenal. I know there was um, strong transfer talk with Senate Saint Petersburg and um they originally got him ahead of all these clubs and I think that is just remarkable that they were able to land someone like him and I think that is because they were the ownership said okay well look what is the best way to build a team is and the best way to build a team a new franchise is to buy to get a world-class coach and it did exactly that by signing Tata Martino and Tata Martino is the is the reason why they did so well this year and why they were able to land all this young and exciting talent?
1: Oh, and and Carlos Buccanegra, the sporting director. Oh, some, yeah, a guy yes. who knows MLS inside and out, and you know is able to is able to do some of the negotiations for Tata. Tata says, "Oh, well, I guess this is what I heard. When they hired Tata, he came with a plan of how to beat every other team in MLS. What he would do, and that's yeah. why he can. I mean, it's pretty obvious, Tata Martino, but." <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah i think you know when we're talking about salary caps there's no restriction on how much you're going to pay your coach no that's a good way to beat the salary cap in legal means because a good coach like him can make the world of difference and um you know touching on the white caps i think the a bad coach can also make a world of difference and uh, i guess as we talk about the the semifinals. finals is when we get into those. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit because I think that in a league where every every squad has the same amount, theoretically the same amount of money to spend, um, spending a bit more on your coach can really change the way your team is playing and really make a difference um, on how your team is going to perform. Because yes, the Atlanta United went out in the Eastern Conference play-ins, but remember, this is the first ever season in MLS. So, you know, it's still a remarkable year for them.
1: Yeah, they finished with a goal difference of plus 30. The other expansion team, Minnesota United, they were ninth in the Western Conference with a goal difference of minus 23. They gave up 70 goals. Yeah. LN United scored 70 goals. So, yeah,
0: we, I had the, the pleasure of seeing Minnesota United in vancouver and they, they were not very good <laughs> <laughs> you know they, they were a typical expansion franchise it's just
1: yeah 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 it's that's it's just credit Atlanta so much for not being the typical expansion franchise yeah. it's a really
0: good side but columbus um a big story there you know they had to go through the plans and i guess it was just around the plans that then emerged that the, the team could be moved to um Austin, the ownership there is uh, the Columbus Crew ownership is is pushing a move to Austin. And I think when when we done with, when we done with our um, playoff talks, we need to maybe outline exactly what happened there. But yeah, the, despite this uh, talk about moving the team, they were able to get through, and it's it's really a great developing story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is, and you have to start believing that Columbus maybe could be the team of destiny in MLS this year because, like you said, we'll get into that, this whole save the crew situation later, but the oldest team in MLS, and maybe they're going to leave the city they're in, that's crazy. and that I don't know. The movement of teams, even as an American, is an insane concept to me.
0: Yeah, yeah but let's let's talk about them should we um jump into their um conference semifinals or stay in the east and talk, jump into their eastern conference semifinal because they did pretty much the what I thought would be the impossible and uh they hosted New York City and of course as their host team uh well New York City's the host team sorry but they they had the first leg at home and they beat New York City 4-1 in that in that first leg pretty much setting themselves up nicely to to advance um that was a remarkable game, and that was really at the backs of you know the talks about going to Austin, and then they have all these talks, you have the the fan uh, posters and everything going on in the stadium, and then they go and just absolutely dismantle New York City FC, and you know one of the teams with the, one of the biggest budgets, I think the second biggest budget after Toronto, and just completely taking them apart. I thought this was a remarkable performance.
1: Yeah, they, they opened the scoring six minutes in, Ola Kamara, and then they were on the front foot the whole the whole match. They didn't get all of their goals right up front. Some of them they had to wait till the second one came in the fifty eighth minute and then ten minutes later and then went right at the end. But it doesn't matter when you score them in the playoffs because it's going to be a second leg. But the thing the thing for me is I don't even know if it's an advantage to be the higher seed because you have to play the away leg first. Like mm. sure, sometimes you think playing the having the second leg at home is good but not when you're down 4-1 like New York City were.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting point because you can set yourself up nicely in that first leg and if you do what Columbus did, yes they gave away that away goal and I know you want to touch on that in a little bit too. But 4-1 that is gutting it's, it's I mean, decisive. yeah that's that, because and i mean New only York,
1: psg could could manage to blow a lead <laughs> of that magnitude
0: after scoring an away goal uh just to add to that but i think having to go in with that even if you know that and i I think in north america you have more of a home and away advantage than you have in europe because of the travel distances yeah and the climate differences and the stadiums are so different i mean
1: or no, playing on a baseball field versus yeah. a a baseball diamond instead of a regular soccer pitch.
0: A small field too. New York City FC's field is so small, so you get some really crazy score lines there. And so you, yes, there is that. But you're right because even if you have, even you have the knowledge, you're going New York City FC players will have gone into this game it's like, oh boy, we have to win this game. We have to score three goals. And the moment they score one, we're basically that's it, right? Yeah. Then we need five. Then we need five.
1: Four. Yeah. Four
0: four to get into the but, extra time and i i don't think that's much of an advantage in a scenario like that
1: no no not at all um and the new york city did well i would say i would give them a lot of credit they won two nil but it wasn't enough to overturn it
0: and that was actually a, that was actually another good game i thought both those games
1: that was really good they were they uh uh via had the the early penalty there was a couple other penalty shouts but you know columbus did enough and columbus really were on the front foot attacking at the end um throwing on throwing an attacking sub instead of just trying to defend for it at the end which i was impressed by
0: greg behalder and josh wolf uh You know, you know, Jack, I'm an 1860 fan and they both played for my (laughs) club. (laughs) I was kind of surprised that I, I, you know, I saw Greg, Greg Bell that he was here in Vancouver just a few weeks ago with Columbus, but I didn't realize Josh Wolf was in there too. So the two 1860 boys getting together and uh, getting the job done, good for them. So uh, good one to keep in mind, 1860, when next time you're in a coaching crisis. But I, I thought, you know, he managed that game in the end very well. Uh, because he could have done a whole bunch of things with um, being down 2-0. But I guess he knew that, especially with that small field, you know bringing in another attacking player, that New York will have to watch it, right? Because it's it's great for New York that they only, in a sense, need one more goal. But on the other hand, if they push too hard and they get scored on, that's it. That's game over, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he actually, I think, bringing on an attacking player in that situation was the smarter thing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, Kakuta Mane coming on for Justin Miram, and his his pace was incredible. He just was able to force all of the New York defend, or force a lot of the New York defenders to stay in their own half, and force a lot of their midfielders to actually retreat to defend, and then could win a corner and waste some time and. He had a chance where he could have scored, but I overall, I think it was an exceptional substitute performance.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. because he and, uh, Yeah,
1: it's a, he's a guy that was traded from the Whitecaps. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. So I, I was just going to say, I know him well, and he's a really fast player. And uh, I thought it was just the right move at the right time for him to come on. Because all of a sudden, you're in New York, and you realize, it's like, oh, great, now they have this guy on. And basically, if we press, all it takes is one long ball, and that's game over. So that already means that you can't, you can't pressure. You can't, you know, that European handball style of football that you see where the attacking team will crowd around the, midf- around the opposition's penalty box and just try to force a goal. You can't really do that in that situation because it's a short pitch and any ball that you lose is potentially game over, right? And that uh, changed the entire complexity of this game. And I thought that was a really smart when he did it and it worked because I, yeah. New York was not able in that last 10-15 minutes to put on the pressure that they needed to score that third goal. So well done. Yeah, Fantastic substitution.
1: And I guess one one last point on Columbus before we move on. Uh, Zach Steffen, their goalkeeper, who's 22, was fantastic against Atlanta and, again, great against New York City at four saves in that, that second leg. Yeah.
0: Outstanding performance now. I guess we'll have to talk about their opponent, Toronto, <laughs> Toronto FC. And they got, did it everything right, except maybe one thing in their first leg against New York. Um, speaking about home and away advantage, I don't think there is much of a home and away advantage between Toronto and New York. I've done that flight myself. It's an hour flight. You know, it's not long and the climate is pretty much the same. So Maybe
1: yeah. only on the on the international scale when Costa Rica is playing. But <laughs> yeah, a Red Bull Arena instead of in in Toronto. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think that Toronto FC players have to do much adjustment going from Toronto no. to to New York. And so that dude, you saw, I see it with the results. I mean, Toronto won their away game, their away fixture two one. Uh, the the one sore point was the the fact that Jovinko picked up a needless yellow card, and we'll get to talk about that in just a second. But I mean. I figured when Toronto won this game two one, it's like okay, well they got their job done, and um, yeah, it,
1: they'll probably win two one at home again or, or something, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. But you know, um, they, it was kind of odd. I, I felt that that second leg um, going into this game, as, as we said, they they didn't a draw, a zero zero draw, one more draw, even a zero one loss, which was in the end the result would be enough, but. Jovinko missed so many chances. And then um, that Toronto side just did not do what needed to be done. Like all that, that self-assuredness that they had all season, that uh, confidence that they had all season, this almost cockiness, you know, that it seemed to be all gone in that, in that second leg. And instead it was, um, I think Greg Warnie said it there, he said there was about 50 minutes of football played in this game. Um, I think that wrapped it up quite well as a statement because it it was such an odd game that second leg and you know it it probably all culminated with the the such a clashton altidore incident um, before halftime and then at halftime and I think it's just it's yeah it's an odd one and it really puts puts me I was 100 percent certain Toronto would win the MLS Cup this year but that game uh, kind of puts it in doubt for me.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree 100% just because of the – it was kind of a pyrrhic victory. The result was there, but they're going to lose a lot for the first leg at Columbus. And we've seen what the crew can do in the first leg at home. So Josie's going to be out because of that that incident where he flopped. Him and Kleschen were both given yellow cards. Then in the, the tunnel at halftime, everything exploded. And the videos that came out, uh, I think they ask a lot more questions than they answer because why are all these people in – in the dugout and or in the tunnel and i don't know as i know in soccer they have the both players go through the same tunnel into the locker rooms but in all other american sports they're separated and that's because in the middle of a game you would be prone to fighting the other team that's always the rationale i mm. thought or knew and then this this time it kind of kind of backfired i mean yeah Id- ideally you'd like to think people can get along but it's a real world not an ideal world
0: well maybe i need to add to this it's not just the players that are going through the same tunnel there is actually um a fan section where fans can watch the players go into the dressing rooms and that's why yeah. they, all where all these videos are coming from and
1: yeah ones with little kids standing there <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, then, and then uh hosie and uh, sasha going at each other that's just, it's just so dumb you know um both on both parts, I think they're, they're both equally to blame for it because I mean, at that point, uh, Sasha Kleshton is a very important player for the New York Red Bulls as well. Yeah, the captain. Yeah, so, you know, he took himself out of the match and the next match if they would have gone through. So he's just as stupid as Jose Altidor. You know, Ayuso Altidor now gets all the, the flag because obviously he's missing the next match, but only because he's gone, his team has actually gone through. But I mean, Sasha Kleshton put his team in an equally bad position. He's just. Lucky because his team went out, um, so he. I think he's escaping a lot of the criticism that way. But it's just,
1: but he he should be given a lot of criticism yeah. for them going out because I don't know if you give the referee a chance to change the game with which the players did, even just by getting the first yellow. I know maybe he would have got a second yellow in the second half or or something. But he put himself in a position where the referee could act and change the game, and it was ten v ten for the second half, which is why. I thought at least uh maybe we need to look again at the away goals rule because if the first one finishes two one, the second one's one nil, so two two on aggregate and they played at forty-five minutes with ten men, I don't know. Sure, you go to extra time and maybe penalties, which isn't representative, but I don't think ten on ten is either.
0: I personally would play until someone scores an extra time. That's yeah, I do it the hockey That's, way.
1: Because then then you do give someone the home field advantage of of uh yeah, play play a ten minute period and each team loses another player. So you get yeah. or maybe not lose another player like hockey, but you get an extra sub. So ten minutes you get another sub. Yeah soon you have to sub in your fans.
0: Sure. I mean <laughs> I, I, I think that's not a bad idea. It'd be better than playing the full thirty minutes and then going to penalties because it's not often something happens in the thirty minutes anyways, right? Because both teams no, are too no. cautious. So I would
1: unless say Unless someone has, unless one of the sides is down to ten or something. Yeah
0: yeah exactly so just keep playing but it it is it is I, i'm kind of on the fence with the home and away goal rule i i personally hate it in european competitions because simply i believe that in europe there is no more home and away advantage really because all these teams are now playing in the same kind of stadiums the you know when you go into a stadium nowadays you don't really feel the difference anymore climate and climate, i
1: mean it's not like belfast to belgrade is like a two-legged 18-hour flight like it yeah. used to be
0: Exactly, it's it's easy, right? Even yeah. going all the way to Russia nowadays, in Russia all the stadiums are modern, and uh, it, you don't really get that.
1: I that mean, until difference. we have Porto against Kabarovsk, I don't think away calls <laughs> really matter.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's really it. You know, the furthest team that you travel to is Astana; it's four hours. But yeah. in, in North America, that's normal. You know, so there is mm-hmm. a real home and away ad- advantage, and I think then. We were talking about the Portland, um, we're going to talk about the Portland-Houston game in just a moment. That is like, that's thats two menus where there's a huge difference between the two, right? So then actually you have a real home and advantage. We often talk about uh, Liga MX and we have the Golazo podcast for that. And there's, there's teams that play at altitude, you know, they play at 2,500 meters against teams that play on the coast. And Tijuana, so then all of a sudden, home and away, home and away is an actual thing. You know, it actually matters, and I think, especially in the Western Conference, you have it. But I mean, we we just talked about Toronto, and that's like basically a flight from Munich to Berlin.
1: You know, it's yeah, not... and and two of the conference semifinals were like that: Toronto, New York, and yeah. Seattle, Vancouver.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, I can see Seattle from my window. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's it's <laughs> not far. I, li- I live in Victoria. I live on, on the Vancouver Island and it's as far from, to Vancouver than it is to Seattle for me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a big metropolitan area. It's, that's basically a home and a home. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I agree. But, and of course you have teams like Houston and then all of a sudden that changes it. So I'm on the fence. I agree in, in modern football. Do you really still have home advantages? And then I, I cover some leaks where I'm like, yeah, there is really, there is home <laughs> advantages here. So scoring a goal at at houston is maybe more valuable than for vancouver to score a goal in seattle so how do you how do you balance that right that's a really good question so yeah
1: yeah because i think i think the actual home advantage would be when extra time comes into play if you're playing extra time in your stadium that is a big home field advantage but then again if they score on you and it's an away goal then you have to score two at home yeah. so that's not an advantage
0: yeah that's, <laughs> that's true that's true. No. Toronto are having the first away game now in Columbus. How big of a loss? And Jovinko is the other one who got himself another needless, two needless yellow cards. How big of a loss do you think it will be for the, without Jovinko and Jose Altitor for them in Columbus? And we, we've seen what Columbus can do at home.
1: Yeah, Manu, I've, obviously uh, I'm embarrassed. I should have done some more research on this because I don't know when the last time they played without Altitor and Jovinko was. A long you know, time they're, ago. They're, they're two forwards and... The two of their dozen inner players. are two stars. The
0: final against Seattle, they lost both of them early, and we know. How but they it
1: won't is. even start a game with yeah. either. You know,
0: it's yeah, it's that's. I guess this is something to keep an eye on. I, I personally think it's a massive loss. I think if I was Toronto, yeah. uh, I'd be going for a draw, uh, just. Do the best and hope that Jose Altito doesn't get suspended long term for what he did in the tunnel. Because that's the chance is still out there, right?
1: Yeah, Josie could be three games. That could be the remainder of the playoffs. Yeah, and that's possible. It's
0: very possible because of the altercation, right? So, yeah, uh, for just for stupidity alone. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But um, let's move to the West and uh, my white caps. Let's get that out of the way <laughs> painlessly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So as as we said at the, at the beginning, they exhausted five goals in the the knockout round and were held scoreless over the 180 minutes in the the Western Conference semifinals. Yeah, I can,
0: I can say that. That's coaching. Uh, I covered the, the White Cups now so often and so much, and I go to all their games. I can tell you before. I can tell you the way Carl Robinson sets up his starting lineup. I can tell you what his substitutions will be throughout the game. Um, you know, he will always substitute his four-on-three attacking midfielders because he has a lot of attacking midfielders,
1: and and they do. I mean, they do some of the running. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's
0: it's not great creative, and that's. <laughs> uh, I I do like Carl. He's one of the nicest people that I, I that I met. But um, I always find it really interesting when you do the post-game press conferences and. I had I was able to listen to Brian Schmetzer, the Sounders coach, and it was one of the best post-game press conferences he gave, and that was in the beginning of the season, a game that Seattle lost to Vancouver. And it was the best 10-minute analysis on a game I've ever listened to. And then Carl comes and he's like, yeah, I guess I'm a tactical genius because I substituted this guy out and I put this guy in. And <laughs> I guess it worked out. Thank you. I'm like, ah, uh, yes. And now I understand 90% of all the results Vancouver Whitecaps Cups walk away with. You know, it's just, it just, it's, it just isn't there. It just isn't there. So, um, and you saw that in those two legs. Uh, Vancouver got a 0 0 draw. And I guess that was the only positives because I think, I believe, I'm a big believer that you need to get a home goal. And then in, in Seattle, Vancouver were completely outplayed because Brian Schmetzer knows. Vancouver will always give the majority possession of to the the, the opposition's team. That's how they have played the entire season. And Brian Schmetzer said, "Oh, great, okay, great, thank you. We're gonna we're gonna keep the ball. We're gonna take the ball, and we're gonna absolutely dominate you at home. So as long as we shut down Freddie Montero up front, and make sure that the three guys that you the same the three guys that you recycle. There's like five attacking midfielders that uh, Carl Robinson has." And he just throws them in and kind of recycles them. As long as we shut them down, no matter who you put on the field within that 90 minute, uh, you know, playing time, as long as we shut those guys down by shutting down the left and the right running ways and uh, put the, put Radar who's in the middle, as long as we don't give him anything to play with, we're going to win this game. And that's exactly what they did because it was easy. It was really easy tactically for Seattle to take Vancouver out of this game. And they did just that. And, I think you know if I was the Whitecaps, as much as I love Carl Robinson, if if I don't want to spend more on the squad, and I think the squad is actually better than the results that we got, I would bring in a coach. Carlo Ancelotti lives in Vancouver; he's available. Bring him in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's already got he's already got a press box at uh, at the VC place. He hangs out there all the time when he's like in between jobs. You might as well give him a pre-retirement job, right, and get the the Whitecaps. Now, joke aside, but that's the kind of coach I would bring in. I would spend some money, um, like Atlanta did, like Houston did, um, like Seattle always have, and I think that is really the best way to win in this league. Is because everyone has more or less the similar profiles of players, and that's yeah. If you have
1: if you have all the same resources, you need someone who's controlling some of those resources to be able to outsmart yeah the, the opposition i guess
0: exactly so that was that would be the one big change i would make in the offseason and I, I i hate to say this because i hate to see people getting fired but maybe carl can be assistant coach so uh that would be a nice and polite way to do it but jack uh <laughs> we have yeah still... no
1: i was i have one last point on this game and maybe it's the seattle's playoff experience that kind of kind of helped them through it as well and knowing that they can go take a 0 no in the first leg and come home and do the business
0: yeah, and that's also you know coaching as well. Yeah, they're exactly. Just, they're just so good at it, and I think they are the maybe the team to beat because I think I would say they're slightly stronger right now than Toronto, um, just from what yeah. I've seen. And they just seem to be a bit cooler. But I, of course, that can all change uh, in the, the the finals, the conference finals, because they are going to face a team that's took out Portland. And I think that's a bit of a surprise because Portland was really strong in the regular season and it's always a very strong team. And uh, talking about home advantage, Providence Park, I love Providence Park. It's one of my favorite stadiums, period. Um, Not just in North America, but anywhere in the world. It's, It's a fantastic stadium. I love when... Portland score goal and the chainsaw goes off and you can hear it it's loud <laughs> it's really loud and it's just, that
1: place is so loud
0: it's so cool and it, it's getting it's getting refurbished right now. The, the main stand um, um on the far end is going to get put up even higher so I think they're going to expand to 35,000 seats that's going that stadium is beautiful it's uh, it's if you if you're looking for an MLS experience and you want to also visit a really cool city that's the place to go. Um, it's it's a wonderful place. But Houston, unfortunately, for those who were hoping for a Cascadia final, um, got the job done. I mean, we talked about the pitch at home. They got that 0-0 draw uh, on a rugby pitch, I guess. Uh, Jack, you you had something oh, to say No, it's like about a
1: polo that? ground. I don't know. I was there last <laughs> December for the College Cup finals, the NCAA championships, and they played three games in... What was it? Thirty-six hours or something? I don't know. It was destroyed, and it looked just as maybe it didn't look as bad the other day, but it looked pretty bad.
0: I'm pretty sure it was still the same pitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, know I mean, even if they tried to put a new sod or something, yeah. it was going to be still the same sloppy pitch.
0: Now they did say during the broadcast. I think it takes three years to put the foundation down for a proper pitch. And that the mistakes were made that when they put down the this pitch, they had that they had those uh, American football games on it.
1: And oh yeah, yeah, there is a college uh, an American football university that plays football there. So yeah.
0: that's just absolutely <laughs> you, I, rips it up, right? That's why. It's the right. thing
1: when you when you don't own your stadium and you're sharing a stadium, and other events have to go in so the stadium can make money because it's America and the building has to make money at all times. So you have to share it. So then you you suffer those consequences. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe uh, Port- Portland suffered the concept. Portland, okay.
0: yeah, that, that's that's what I was just going to say, because Portland play on plastic, as I like to call it, at home. Uh, maybe the one downside to Providence Park, it's it's a plastic pitch. It's uh, AstroTurf or, I don't know what but that, it But that's IP. also a
1: home field advantage. Some people yeah. could see it as a downside, but you could see it as a home field advantage.
0: It's true. I guess it isn't really in the Cascadia, because Vancouver and Seattle use it too, right? So yeah. um, that kind of disappears. But yeah, Houston doesn't. But I thought Houston was really good in this game, and um, you know Asprilla scored the the opener for Portland, and that should have been really um, the stepping stone for them to get the job done.
1: But yeah, I thought they were going to run away with yeah. it at that point. You have the crowds just waiting for yeah. a moment to get really overexcited, and then you have the opening goal in the first half, late yeah. in the first. half.
0: And then four minutes later, Dylan Remick makes it 1-1. And then all of a sudden, this game becomes a nice edge affair, right? Because uh, 1-1 means you're going out on yeah. the away goal. And I thought that um, from then on, Houston kind of did, did did what they needed to do. You know, they they kind of laid back. They kind of absorbed the pressure. They, um, they didn't get impressed by the noise that... Um, Providence Park generates, and um, when Manota scored that goal, that was pretty much game over. Um, you know, at two one, that means two goals that you have to score, and uh, yeah, I, I thought that Houston impressed me in this game just because they they really got the job done. But that's another, you know, we talked about South American coaches and um, how coaching can make a difference. And uh, Wilma Cabrera, he really got he got it right in this game. And he's, he's one of those coaches that tons of experience, um, you know, in the U.S., but also comes with a very different football philosophy because he's Colombian. And I, I, I sometimes wonder if that actually helps you more in MLS, you know, that South American flair helps you more on MLS than coming from Europe almost because... Um, in a lot of ways major league soccer is more like a south american league rather than a north american league and the way it's played you know the physical yeah it's like a closer
1: aperture yeah, yeah.
0: You know. so i almost wonder if that helps you more because he got he got that tactically spot
1: on so i i, I bet he i bet he was so happy when they got to halftime and it was one one because he had the away goal and he said okay we just need to go like this and the uh, counter counter when they're going to push forward
0: yeah basically if we if we don't if they don't score another goal we're through and if we score one then they're done and that's exactly what happened and i think that is that is usually an indication for me for smart coaching and they're going to be a good challenge for seattle you know it's it's that's that conference final um seattle houston i think that's going to be really fascinating because um you get you get real home and away advantages in that game and yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I think that's going to be almost more interesting. Well, I guess this is almost time to talk to, to finish this part with talking about Columbus, but, um, in, in a way, it's going to be more contrastful than the, 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 the Columbus Toronto final. But then, of course, with the Columbus Toronto final, you have that storyline of save the crew. And, um, Jack, maybe we have about 10 minutes left in this part, but this is a good time to really talk about this because Columbus are not just playing for the MLS Cup, but they're also playing for survival to actually stay in Columbus.
1: Yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't know how much it is up to their success, but the more success they have, I think the more fans will... Not necessarily Columbus fans. I think they're all already on the Save the Crew boat, but more fans across the country, and maybe more fans across the world, will be rallied to their cause because... um, yeah, their owner, Anthony Precourt, a couple weeks ago revealed that I think there was a clause saying that the crew could move to Austin, Texas if that city built the stadium. And that was the only escape clause written into the, the fine print of some contract. Because I think a couple years ago, they said the crew staying in Columbus, you know, they're the, the oldest franchise in MLS, I think. And that's. Yeah. That's yeah, he, not something that should happen. And, you know, in Columbus, historically for US soccer, the site of, I think, two Dos Cicero victories over yeah. Mexico, you know. Yeah. A stadium
0: that he doesn't think is good enough, that has so much history. And he's saying it's too far away from the city center to generate income. Well, it's four miles. I looked at them. I have never been to Columbus, but I looked at the map. I'm like, come
1: on. Hey, look, at, look at Harrison, New Jersey.
0: Yeah. That, that's not even New York. That's in New Jersey. And
1: uh, <laughs> I, no, I, no. Look at Chicago Fire. That's in, um, it's in Bridgeview. Mm-hmm. And when I I, used, I grew up in Chicago, it was in the suburbs. It was over an hour from my parents' house. And when I lived in on the north side of the city, just blocks away from where the Chicago Cubs play Wrigley Field, um, it would take an hour and forty minutes to use public transit to get to the Chicago Fires to watch a game.
0: There's an odd example. Dallas, their, their stadium is in the middle of nowhere too. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't get that argument. I think what he's doing, and this is something that we've seen quite a lot in, in North American sports, that owners are trying to um, sort of put the gun on the chest on public uh, on cities and say like you have to yeah, build public a stadium, funding. yeah, public funding. So basically, get taxpayers to build them stadiums that they then can make money off. And Stan Kroenke is a good example but, down. In,
1: no, I think I think George Bush is a good example too. They bought yeah. sorry, they, they bought the Texas Rangers. Then the public built them a stadium, and then they sold the team for a bunch of money because they had a brand new stadium. Yeah, but yeah, go to go to your. Uh, yeah, your Stan Kroenke,
0: st- right, <laughs> is with San, with San Diego. He moved San Diego to LA, and uh, no, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis. Sorry, yeah, St. Louis, and um, now there's that weird scenario that you have two LA teams that moved there, right? Because San Diego also moved to LA, and mm-hmm. the same scenario that uh, that wasn't Stan Kroenke. That was. Um, uh, but it was basically the same history that the the owners
1: of yeah established franchise
0: yeah san diego rams really historic um franchise and they basically said well uh if you don't get public money to build a new stadium we're just going to move this team to la and then the city of san diego said well okay fine bye um and instead now are they looking at an mls franchise you know for a smaller stadium a more affordable stadium but it's it's a really
1: repeating storyline in in North America. Yeah, in in St. Louis the the stadium opened in 1995.
0: Yeah, and then they let it they let it run to the ground. Stan Grunker didn't do any renovations or anything on it. So basically that he had an argument um that the stadium was not good enough for them because there is certain clauses that you have to hit in NFL in order to get the in order to get your team moved and one of them is that you have to prove that the stadium that you're playing in is not fit for the sport anymore. So he he didn't renew the scoreboards. He ordered bathrooms were run to the ground. And when you read all the stories that are going on in the background, he basically ensured that his team would be getting out of the city, even though the facility, if properly maintained, would have been good enough, right? And that's that's just a money-grabbing thing. And this is the same story here. Like the Columbus Stadium is, is fine. It's a good stadium. It's a historic facility. Heck, when you look at it, it's one of those stadiums that you could easily upgrade, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just a money grab because... Yes, Austin, Austin may offer him a free stadium, right? And they may offer him land and it's maybe also a nicer place to live. I don't know. I've never been there, but that it's just, it stinks. It really does. It stinks like him trying to milk one of two cities for public money because he's basically putting the gun on two cities, right? He's saying like, oh, uh, Austin, if you're building me a new stadium, I'm putting my team there. he's saying to Columbus at the same time, if you're not building a new stadium for me, I'm going to move to Austin. But at both times, it's taxpayers who are supposed to pay for it. And I think that's really, you know, this history of the Columbus crew and all that aside, that's really sad, but that's really what stinks the most for me personally. And I mean, we have all these stories now coming out with Panama Papers and Paradise Papers and how the rich cheat public money. That's just another example for me right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just an example of I don't know if Anthony Precourt's in the one percent, but in the one percent taking advantage of the the ninety nine percent, you know. Yeah. It's an economic issue as much as it's a, a sporting issue. Yeah. Because you know a lot of a lot of people own sports teams. They don't care about sports. They care about money. So it's an easy way to make a lot of money. <laughs>
0: And that's maybe, maybe the <laughs> final point of this story, because then you have him standing in the, the Columbus crew section with his like yellow and black scar, scar on. And, like, and he's in the, the last few tweets or so that he sent out. He's basically saying that he's the victim in this entire story. It's like, <laughs> nobody. Like, all you need to do is say, I'm committed to Columbus. Boom. End of story. Right. But he bought this team in 2013. He said, uh, I'm committed to keep this team in Columbus. And secretly, there was this closet that he could move the team to Austin anytime. And now it emerges that there's already a deal in place for them to play at the Austin University. That uh, there's trademarks being registered for, I think it was Austin Athletic and Austin FC, right? Um, I'm sorry, but this is not <laughs> something that you came up with in the last two or three weeks. All of this takes... A couple of years of planning, which means that you probably already thought about this back in 2013 when you bought the team.
1: and Maybe makes, even back in 2010 before you considered buying the yeah, team. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that makes you a big fat liar and everything that you do now is basically um, trying to victimize yourself. I- I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, but that's just, uh, I- I'm not buying that story at all. I think if there's real commitment to save the Columbus from the ownership, all he needs to do is say, okay, well, we're, we're happy to stay in the stadium. And You know what I think he should work. do? I
1: think he should sell the team to the fans.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm absolutely all for it. I think <laughs> club ownership, and there's a, there's a great example. Uh, I think it's the Green Bay Packers, right, that are
1: fan owned. Um, eh, no, no, they sell shares, but they don't mean anything really technically.
0: Yeah, but there's no real ownership of, uh, the, yeah. of the green. It's a community-owned team, right? Yeah. and that's it's the NFL team in this in the smallest city in uh, in North America.
1: Yeah, they have no other teams for hundreds of miles around there. Yeah, yeah.
0: so maybe that's the solution. Uh, I think I, I, that would be a great conclusion to the entire story. But um, Jack, we're out of time. So it's so much more to talk about. I guess we'll have to do more
1: podcasts. Um, yeah, I guess we'll have to call it soccer again because this, this was a great episode one. Yeah,
0: this is a great episode one. And, I you know, there is, this is not going to be a, a weekly thing now. But as of next season, I hope that it definitely will be. Um, but this is, a, I think, it's a fantastic start to get started on this. But, Jack, where can people find you on Twitter? And uh, what have you been up to lately?
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Grimsey, and yeah besides trying to get this podcast started with manu i've been doing a little bit of other podcasting with scouted football scouted says uh having that up up and running we just did a recap of the u17 world cup yesterday Oh, i need to give that a listen that sounds so, fascinating yeah, yeah and, and maybe i'll even be writing some stuff for football grad soon
0: oh I, you're definitely welcome jack i would love to have you and i think that's a good cue i mean yeah, I've been. You can find me at Twitter um, at Manuel Vef. But of course, all the articles, everything we do, including this new podcast, is going to be at Football Grad Live. So yeah, go check that out. And of course, if you like our podcast, uh, our other podcasts as well, go give us a ratings on iTunes. Uh, it really help helps us to grow this network. Um, positive or negative, any feedback is always welcome. <laughs>